Well, good morning, Getwell. So grateful to be with you. Welcome everybody joining us online as well. I do hope that you are and will have a wonderful and blessed Fourth of July celebration. Isn't it great to live in a country uh, where we have freedom, freedom to worship, we have freedom to pursue the lives that, that we want to live in, in so many ways. It's up to us of, of what we want our lives to be about. And here's the, the good news. It's not just that we live in a free country, but that we have a God who wants to give freedom to his people. The word of God says it is for the sake of freedom that Christ has come. And it's a freedom that God wants to make available to everybody. We're walking through our series called Catalyst. We're walking through the book of Acts and we're exploring together how God is a catalyst for life giving, for life change. Really for all the things that our hearts long for, God is a catalyst for those things. And what we're going to explore today is that we have a gospel, meaning the good news, which is the news about Jesus, that he has come, that we can have freedom. It is a gospel that is for all kinds of people. In other words, the freedom that Christ gives, he wants to make available to anyone who would call on him in faith. So we live in a wonderful, wonderful country that's built on these principles. In 1883, there was a lady named Emma Lazarus, who you probably never heard of her, but you've read her work. You've heard it. It is etched on the Statue of Liberty. She wrote these words in 1883. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be what? Read it with me. To breathe free. We live in a country that is based on the principle that freedom is available to all. That there's something innately within us, a human and sacred worth in every human being that allows us the opportunity to experience freedom. And I know that we have in many ways lost sight of this. And we haven't forgotten it. But I think in so many ways we've lost our focus on it and we've certainly lost our attitude around it as we watch our country be divided and we watch people fight and certainly we see people twist and abuse this principle of freedom to the point where sometimes we just get kind of jaded, don't we? You know, when we, we lose the, the focus that, that we want to have and what's even worse, see that's really bad for our country, but what's even worse as when we see that kind of negative attitude, loss of focus begin to slip into the body of Christ. Where even as followers of Jesus, we lose our focus that God has come that all people might experience freedom. Because here's the news that we need to understand is that Jesus came to die for all people. For any person who would call on the name of Jesus and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, trust with their heart that he is Savior of all, that he, they would be saved. That means the people that you like and the people that you don't like. That means the people that you agree with and the people that you don't agree with. It means the people who voted as the same person as you did and the people who didn't vote for the person that you did, that Jesus came to die for them too. That Jesus came to give them a freedom as well as they would call on the name of Jesus. And as people of Christ, as people of the kingdom of God who are following Jesus together, we must keep that 
focus central in our lives that, that the gospel is for all people, which means that we are people who should be bringing the gospel to all kinds of people. This is what we see lived out in the early church. It's what we see lived out in the life of Paul and Silas and Timothy and all these people we read about in the book of Acts. They are bringing the gospel, this good news of Jesus, to people who agree with them, who don't, who think like them, who don't. Even to people who we saw uh, last week who are throwing them in prison. They were bringing the gospel to everybody and watching the Spirit of God move in ways that nobody could anticipate. So we catch up with uh, Paul today. He's been uh, sent out on his first missionary journey. He's met with the leaders in Jerusalem. He's been in and out of prison. And he's going out on his second missionary journey, going back to see some of those churches that he's established. And he's moving west. And he's going to come to a place called Thessalonica. A place in near modern day Greece. And what Paul is about to experience in Acts chapter 17 is he's going to meet three different groups of people in three different cities. And what I want us to wrestle with today and reflect on today is that these aren't just three historical groups of people that Paul met with so many years ago, but they actually represent for us three different kinds of people that you and I encounter and have relationships with on a daily basis as well. So what I want us to think about is what can we glean from this? What can, can we learn from this about sharing the gospel with all kinds of people? So let's pick up. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first five, five verses. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on the three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Here's the first group of people that Paul and Silas encounter, this first group in the city of Thessalonica. These are the people that you and I will sometimes face as well, is that sometimes there are people who will oppose the gospel. That they're just not going to go along with what we live for or what we believe, or they might not even want to be uh, in relationship with you. There are some people who are just going to live in opposition to the truth of the good news of Jesus. That Paul comes to Thessalonica, there's a, a group of Jewish people, he goes to the synagogue, he's trying to share the good news with them, and they're jealous, they're bitter, they're frustrated, they have a different focus than Paul, where Paul has a focus on the person of Jesus who's come to suffer for the whole world, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that Jesus would take our sins, but their focus was on a nation. Where Paul saw the, the a book of Isaiah and other prophecies pointing to the suffering servant of Jesus, the Jewish people thought it was all about the suffering people of Israel. 
And, and they didn't have the same understanding. And so they pushed Paul out. And we're going to face people in life and maybe even have family, maybe even friends, maybe people we see this weekend who are living in opposition or at least apathy to the good news about Jesus. And what do we do with that? We do the same thing that Paul did. We continue to share the good news of Jesus. Because here's the truth, is that the responsibility of the outcome does not belong to you and I. The outcome belongs to God. The outcome belongs to the Holy Spirit spurring somebody on and their response to what God is doing. What is our responsibility? To be faithful, to live and share the gospel. That, that we live it out in what we do and we say and our attitude and our compassion and the way we welcome people into our lives and we speak the truth of the gospel when God gives an opportunity. That we would not let the fear of rejection, we would not let the fear of what they might do with that or maybe they're going to walk away from this relationship. We don't let the fear of what might come as an outcome prevent us from being faithful to what God's called us to do. That even when we know somebody might oppose, we still are living and sharing the good news of Jesus. There's a second group of people that Paul and Silas encounter. As they continue moving, they come to a place called Berea. And we pick up in verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed. This is that word we've talked about many times. It means to trust. They trusted in what God had done through Christ, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Hey, the Luke writes here in the book of Acts that there's a group of people in Berea who were not like the first group, that they had a mo more noble character. Doesn't, doesn't mean that they were better than or, or any, it was just that they were open to what God wanted to do. And it represents for us the second group of people that we will encounter in life. Some people will embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there are people in our lives who are hungry for truth and freedom that Jesus brings. There are people who are looking for God's activity in their life and we must be willing and ready and able to share what Jesus has done in our lives, what Jesus is doing in their life, what Jesus is doing in the world. We must be willing and ready to share what God is all about. And I, I think the, the problem is not so much that we don't want to, but I wonder how much of the time that we're so busy and so focused on what we've got to do and what our agenda is and our problems and, and all those things that we don't even see the opportunity. See, the early church, they, they lived with this attitude that enabled them to always be ready to share the gospel. They lived with an urgency without hurry. And I wonder how much of the time we live with a hurry without the urgency of the gospel. We've got to be ready and willing and looking of where are people ready to hear the truth of Jesus? Am I invested in their lives? Am I welcoming them in? Am I prepared to share what Jesus has done in my life? There are some people who will embrace the gospel. 
Paul and Silas, they continue to move uh, south from Berea, and they meet a third group of people, and we pick up in verse 16 in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Paul comes to Athens, he's walking around, he, he sees all the idols, he listens to the conversations that are taking place. You know, Athens was the place of philosophers. It was a place of studied uh, people who loved ideas and they loved to study and they loved to debate and they loved to have conversation. And they love to, to try to wrap their arms around truth. And Paul sees an opportunity knowing who they were and what they lived for to share Jesus. This group of people that, that represent for us a third group of people that we encounter in life were those who debate the gospel. Some will oppose, some will embrace, some will debate. See, there are people in our lives and people that we encounter that are not yet ready to follow Jesus, but they are ready to talk about Jesus. And I wonder how much of the time, because of the world we live in and all the division and all the strife and how we feel this attack coming against people of God from the world, I wonder how much of the time we've already made our mind up before we even enter into conversation. We're so bitter, we're so frustrated that the moment that they're not ready to embrace the gospel, we just put out a hand and we walk away. What would it look like instead for us to be a people of, of committed patience and compassion in the lives of people that those who are willing to talk about Jesus, we are willing and ready and able that we're, we're not, again, holding the, the responsibility of what they do with it. We're just holding the responsibility to be faithful. That I want to love you and I want to be invested in your life and I want to talk about what Jesus has done in my life. As long as you're willing to, to have a conversation, I'm here. Knowing that we never know what God's about to do. We never know what's coming tomorrow or the next day or next week of how God's going to be using our faithful obedience to bring about a change of heart, to bring a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, to breathe the spirit of life into somebody. See, God never wastes an act of faithful obedience. And so we've got to be willing and ready and able and looking and listening. Who are the people around me who are willing to have a conversation about Jesus? Not that I would hit them over the head and drag them into church or, or just, you know, beat them down that they don't see the world exactly the way I do, but just share Jesus with them. Not a list of bullet points and not a you have to do this or you have to do that. But there's a God who loves you and this is how I've experienced him in my life. And this is how I see him in the world. And this is how I see him through history. That we're willing to say, God, we see an opportunity here. So there's some who will oppose, some will who embrace, and some will debate. The question remains in each and every group, am I available? Am I ready? Am I looking, am I listening for what God is calling me to do? And so when we get to a posture and an attitude of God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to have the freedom that you've given me pointed toward a purpose. God, when I'm ready to do that, are there some tools that you and I can use to share the gospel with others? And the answer is yes. 
As a matter of fact, as we walk through these encounters, Paul uses three different tools to share the gospel with the people around him. And they're the same tools that you and I can use. Here's the first, is that Paul shares the gospel using Scripture. He goes into Thessalonica, and what does he do? For three Sabbath days, he shares with them from what? From the Scripture. Of this Jesus who we believe has come in the flesh, the, the God in the flesh who's come to bear our sins and give us life, who rose from the dead, He's the one that you've always been waiting for and you didn't even know it. And he walked him through the word of God to show him how God was laying the foundation, pointing the way to bring Jesus to the world. See, in scripture, we have a faithful and reliable source of truth that we can use and we should use and need to use, not just for our lives, but to point other people toward God. And that doesn't mean that we go around quoting scripture to, to non-believers and throwing it in their face, but we need to have it in our hearts and minds and it needs to be guiding every single thing we do. My hope for every single one of us is that we are so living in God's word that we're not just quoting it, it just comes out by accident. In our conversation and in our thoughts and in our, everything we do, just the word of God is just flowing out of us. It means we need to know it. We need to be in it and, and wrestling with it. We need to live it. We need to not just know it and read it, but live it out and be faithful and obedient. We need to wrestle with it. We need to ask questions about, God, what are you doing in me and around me? We need to pray over it. We need to listen to it. We need to let it be a part of everything that we are. The second tool that we see Paul using is he comes to Berea is that Paul shares the gospel using creation. From Berea to Athens, Paul is pointing to the world around him. That the creation of God, every single moment of every single day, is shouting the truth of God, is shouting the truth of Jesus. It is an evidence of the love and the power of God in creation in the universe. As we look around us, I mean, you can't help but to see uh, uh, an intelligent design and a power and a love and a compassion as you look at, you know, the creation, animals, trees, the oceans, mountains, the, the rainbow, the skies. You can't help but to see the love and the power of God in a newborn baby. You can't help but to experience the love and the power of God as we have this incredible, mysterious force between human beings called love. You can't help but to see the power and the love of God as people for some reason beyond our full comprehension are willing to lay their lives down for others. All around us is the evidence of a God who has all power, all knowledge, all love. We see it in creation, but this wasn't the only two tools. There was a third one that Paul used. Paul shares the gospel using history. He pointed the people to, toward an actual historical event. It wasn't just stories. It wasn't just feelings. It wasn't just principles. But it was all based, that it was actually an event where God literally brought his son to be born into the world. And God literally had his son live a perfect life. And, and 
encouraged us to see the face and hear the voice of God. And literally there was a historical event where Jesus gave his life and he really died on the cross. And there was a historical event where Jesus really was placed in the tomb. And three days later, he rose again. And all the Roman authorities and all the Jewish authorities had to do to stop this whole movement was to take that body and parade it all over the empire. And they could not do it because it really happened. And Paul was pointing them toward a historical reality that actually happened in their midst. And we can do the same. But we don't just stop there. Because history has continued. And God is still active. And God is still at work. And he's still in history as it happens. And I want to ask you, what is his story in your story? What is God actively living out and embodying and bringing to being in your life that is evidence of God? In other words, what have you experienced, seen, heard in your life that points to a Savior, that points to a Creator, that points toward a God who loves us? And are we willing and ready and able to share it with others? So much of the time we ask this question, what do I have to do to get God in my life? As if somehow God is distant, God has left the scene, God is around the corner waiting for us to figure things out. What if instead we started to ask the question of ourselves and encourage others to ask the same question, how do I see God already in my life? When we come to people who are hurting, when we come to people who are hungry for the truth of the good news, when we come to people who are willing to enter into conversation about who God just might be, what if our question to them was not how do you get yourself to God, but how do you see God already with you? Where has God already been at work? What is his story and your story? What is God doing to bring you to him? It's a completely different conversation where we use what God has given us to point people to the grace and the mercy and the love and the power of God. And it requires of us a different kind of attitude as we are willing to look for those who might embrace or might enter into conversation. We need a freedom for attitude and not just a freedom from. So as we talk about freedom, what is freedom? Freedom is to be free from, to be set loose from anything that would imprison or hold me captive. And we have two kinds of freedom in our lives. We have freedom from, I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. I'm free from those things that would keep me from the life that God would have for me because the Spirit of God is living in me. Jesus has set me free. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. I'm set free from the power of sin and death. But I also have a freedom for for embracing the good news, freedom for purpose, for mission, for living with God. And a freedom that is lived for myself is not really freedom at all. Because I'm captive to my own self-desires and my own, that tyranny of self-preservation. But a freedom for purpose is the greatest kind of liberty we'll ever experience. And this is the attitude that Paul had, a freedom for attitude. They're going to live for the purposes of God. Paul said it this way. We started our service with it. As he's writing to the Corinthian church, he said this. Even though I am what? Free of the demands and expectations of everyone. 
I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. As he came to Thessalonica, as he came to Berea, as he came to Athens, Paul was asking the singular question, God, how do I use the freedom you've given me in Christ to help somebody else embrace what Jesus has done for them? Too much of the time we're fixated on what somebody needs to do for me when we've already experienced everything we need. So here's the principle I want to leave with us as we get ready to close. It becomes a lot easier to serve others when I stop looking for them to give me what only Jesus can give. It becomes a lot easier to serve others when I stop looking for them to give what only Jesus can give. What are we looking for from the people around us? Are we looking for that acceptance Are we looking for that affirmation? Are we looking for agreement? Are we looking for a proclamation of who we are, our identity? Are we looking for them to to give me security and significance? What is it that I'm looking for other people to give me that only Jesus can give? So much of the time we want somebody else to bestow freedom on me when Jesus has already given me the freedom to live for a purpose, to be free from and to be free for the gospel, the kingdom of God. And there's a great liberty that we experience, not just by a government, but by a kingdom of God when we start living for the purpose of God. That we start experiencing the freedom that God's already given us to say, I want to serve you. I want to enter a conversation with you. I want to bestow uh, compassion upon you, forgiveness and grace and mercy. So much of the time we live in fear. What if they reject me? What if they walk away? What if they're mean to me? What if they do something to me? What if I lose influence for sharing Jesus? Can we as a people of God hold on to the freedom we have and let go of those fears? To say, I'm just going to embrace people. I'm just going to love people. I'm just going to share people. And I'm going to look for every opportunity to be bold in living and speaking and sharing the truth of Jesus. Knowing the responsibility of the outcome doesn't lie with me, but the responsibility of faithfulness is squarely on my shoulders. And we can do this, can let go of the fear because Jesus has paved the way. He has bestowed freedom. He has made it possible for us to be free from sin and death and free for a purpose, which requires a a single step for us. And I'll close with this is that we cannot just believe that Jesus is Lord. We've got to let Jesus be Lord of our lives. And for many of us, that's a significant jump that we need to take, where we actually step into the freedom that Christ has given, not just for one day, but for this day, to follow him.